we are starting a new series. It's called Words. They got you into this. They can get you out. Last week, Micah closed out the, the series on how to fight. Was that an amazing series? I learned so much. We've been married. We will have been married 50 years this year, darling. This is our 50th year anniversary. And, and I learned so much from him during this series that I didn't know. And, and we got a good solid marriage, but I learned things I didn't know. And here's one thing we learned at the last message that he preached this past Sunday. There aren't three entities involved in your marriage. There are four. There's you, your mate, and God, the Holy Spirit, is involved in your marriage if you've made a, dis a decision to follow Christ. And, and uh, at the end of last Sunday's message, he gave you an opportunity to make a decision to follow Christ. You'll have another opportunity today if you didn't do that. Uh, but if you've done that, then you've got God involved in your marriage. But also, you have an enemy. Uh, your arch enemy is the devil. And the devil is real, a real spiritual enemy. Your spouse is not your enemy. There's a word from the Lord for somebody. Your, your mate is not your enemy. The devil is your enemy, and he's the fourth en entity. He's an enemy that you can't see. This is what Micah taught us last week. Um, there are spiritual forces that you can't see that are at work against your marriage. Now, Paul talked about the armor of God and that out of, out of all the pieces of the armor of God, and we've taught series on the whole armor of God, but out of the armor of God, there is one piece of armor that is your offensive weapon. And Micah left us with these questions last week. What does spiritual warfare look like? And how do we use this offensive weapon? So let's get right into that. First of all, we're going to look at uh, spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6, chapter four, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14 through 17. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the tricks of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood against our spouses, against our children, against our parents. We don't wrestle against people, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows, or one translation says fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation, and here is your offensive weapon. This is what Micah was talking about last week. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of of God. We see here in this passage that the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is the only offensive weapon in this list. And this is what this series is actually about on words how to use the sword of the Spirit and see the plan of God come to pass. I'd like to read to you just the, uh, the introduction out of this book. I'm not going to read the whole book to you today, that would make my message a lot easier, but. Uh, I want to read to you the introduction in this book. 
Bill Smith has recently had his share of challenges. He was let go from his job two years ago after working for his company for 12 years. Not only was he without a job for 14 months, but he and his wife both ended up in the hospital with COVID-19, although at different times. They faced financial challenges during that time, especially with their son in college. The good news is that both of them have fully recovered, and late last year, Bill landed an even better position than he had before. His new co-workers really enjoy being around him because of his positive attitude. His wife will tell you that Bill has always been positive, even in the toughest of circumstances. Their son has now graduated from college, his education paid for mostly by his parents, and he's living on his own. Life is finally getting back to normal, and they're leaving soon on their first vacation in two years. Adam Johnson has almost had the identical set of circumstances. Two years ago, he also was dismissed from the company that he'd worked for for 11 years, but he is still without a job. It wasn't difficult for his boss to decide who to cut from the staff because of Adam's chronic negativity. His attitude was even mentioned when his boss was contacted for a reference. His wife is supporting both of them while he continues to search for meaningful work. But so far, nothing is available that would compensate him for the engineering career for which he trained. His wife spent two weeks in the hospital recovering from pneumonia, and even though she was discharged six months ago, she's still having breathing issues. Their son came home from college four months ago to help by getting a job at a local restaurant because the family couldn't keep up with his education expenses. He only had six months until graduation. What could have made the difference in these two families whose circumstances are almost identical? That leads us to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. Proverbs 18, 21, which is what this whole book and what this whole series is going to be based on, says this. Words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. Your offensive weapon, according to what we read in Ephesians chapter 6, is the word of God to fight not only for your marriage, but actually for every circumstance, whether it's your finances, whether it's your health, whether it's for your kids, whether it's for your parents, whether it's for your country. We begin with our words. And this scripture here tells us that words kill. Words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. Words will destroy your marriage. Words will give life to your marriage. They're either poison to your marriage or they'll cause your marriage to be fruitful. You choose. I want, have you ever wondered? I know sometimes people wonder, I wonder why my marriage is so messed up. And you know, words are not magic. It's not like we speak some words and all of a sudden, bam, everything is just all hunky-dory now, but you create an atmosphere around yourself, in your home, in your family, in your workplace. You create an atmosphere with the words that you speak. It creates an atmosphere of life or an atmosphere of death, an atmosphere of fruitfulness or an atmosphere of devastation by the words that you speak. Words will tear down your children's spirit or words will give life to your children's spirit. They're, they'll either poison your children's minds or cause them to be fruitful and blessed. Is that too strong? Y'all okay? And we choose. 
wonder why my kids are so messed up. wonder if we could have anything to do with what we speak over our kids. Words will destroy our business or words will bless our business. They'll either poison our business or give life to our business. And who chooses? I said, who chooses? We do. Words will destroy your health or words will give life to your health. They're either poison to your health or they'll cause your health to be fruitful. And you choose. Words will destroy your finances or words will give life to your finances. They're either poison or fruit to your finances. And who chooses? Say, I do. I do. do. Now, the devil also has an offensive weapon. We we read about God's offensive weapon, which is the word of God. But also the devil, devil has an offensive weapon, and it is his word in your mouth. Is his offensive weapon against us and against our circumstances, against our situations. And so this is why we don't blurt out the first thing that comes to our mind. I know uh, I learned some years ago from Connie. Connie got this revelation that the devil speaks to us in first person. The devil doesn't, when the devil wants to talk to you, he doesn't talk to you like he's somebody else talking to you. He begins with the word I. I'm so angry with you, I think I'm leaving. And you think it's your thought. Has anything ever come out of your mouth and you thought, where did that come from? Just me. We don't say the first thing that comes to our mind. I'll tell you what, there's, there's stuff in here. I'm going to be, can I be transparent? There's stuff in here that doesn't need to come out of here. We got stuff in our mind, in our head. And some people say, hey, I'm, I'm sorry if I offended you, but I just say what I think. That's stupid. Don't do that. Don't just say what you think because a lot of what we say should not be coming out of our mouth. Words kill. Words poison, words destroy, or words give life, and words cause things to be fruitful. And who chooses? The circumstances don't choose. The other, I'm sorry, I just got so mad at him, I just had to say it. And you lost complete control of what you were saying. Your words will kill, your words will give life, they're poison or fruit, and you choose. Nobody else chooses that for you, and we decide. And so that's what this series is all about is our offensive weapon, which is the word of God in our mouth. You know, the devil doesn't have to bring about tough situations in our life. All he has to do is get us to say it. And we create our own tough situations in our life. Now, the difficulty in ministering this message is not for the people that are new. There are people that are new that are sitting in this congregation today who are going, this is what I needed. What he's talking about up there, he's reading my mail. I needed this. Pastor Micah said that today they were gonna show us how to do warfare and what he's talking about, this is great. I need this. The tough situation is those of us who have heard it before. And we've heard it before and we've heard. In fact, I went back and looked at my notes and I ministered on this platform last year and over 60% of what I'm teaching this morning is in my notes from last year where I already said it. And I know some of you are thinking, does he not know anything else? Can he not preach on anything else? Is this all he knows? I realized that this, that when I realized that I was really concerned, I was really thinking, you know, 
I was, I was actually, because I was, I was awake in the middle of the night thinking, I, have I got the right message? Have I got the right word? Because I've already done this. And people are going to think he, he's already said this. But then the Holy Spirit spoke deep into my spirit. And he said, there are people showing up today at church who were here last Sunday when Pastor Micah said, we're going to give you the tools and show you what, the, what your offensive weapon is so you can do warfare on behalf of your marriage. And we can even add that to every area of our life. And there are people that showed up at church today who are desperate who showed up thinking, I've got to have, I don't know, I'm not sure what it is, but I've got to have that. I've got to do warfare because the devil is wreaking havoc in my life. And so this message is for you, and it's actually for all of us. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing, not by having heard. Oh, I heard that before. I already heard that. I heard that already. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing it. And then there are those who kind of get tired of standing on the word. I've been speaking these scriptures for a long time. I've been speaking the word into my circumstance, and it's not getting any better. But we've got to stay on mission, stay on target, continue to to, uh, speak the word. This is your offensive weapon. Your words are going to give life to your life. We've got to stay on mission. Can you imagine being a soldier trained and going into battle with your rifle and you're in the battle for two days, three days, four days, and then on the fifth day, the enemy's still coming and you're looking at your buddies going, I'm so tired of pulling this trigger. I am tired. I'm tired of carrying this gun. This gun's getting heavier every day. I see the enemy coming, but I mean, how long are we going to have to do this? You do it until the enemy is defeated. How long am I going to have to speak the word? How long am I going to have to stand on the word and continue to do this? You do it until you win. And God has called you to win, to be winners in your life and to conquer the enemy. The devil is after your marriage. He's after your kids. He's after your finances. He's after your health. He's after our nation. He's after so many things. And we create an atmosphere in all those environments by what we say by our words. And many of us have heard this message preached numerous times and we still ain't got it. So if words kill and words give life, if words are poison or words are, are fruitful and we choose, then we have to get this. Say, I have to get this. All right. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not become tired in doing good. For if we do not give up, the time will come when we will reap the harvest. And I'm believing that for you today. So let's talk about where all this begins, where all this comes from. First of all, in Genesis chapter 1, let's go to the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. It says, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. This is how many of us feel about an area of our life. Maybe it is your marriage or maybe it is your health or maybe it's some area of your life and you just feel like this area of my life is full of darkness. I just feel, you know, I just feel like like darkness is covering the surface of this area of my life. But the Bible says that the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And I believe that the spirit of God is hovering over that area of your life.
I don't preach as good. I'm Sicilian. I have to move my hands. Okay. So let's see how God dealt with the darkness. Here, it says that the darkness was over the surface of the earth. And God said, let there be light. God said, God said, God spoke. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Words are the tool that God used to create the solution for the problem that he saw. He created the world, but the world was out without form, void, and dark. And when God wanted to do something about it, God said, let there be light. And he used those words to create the firmament in verse 6. In verse 9, he gathered the waters into the oceans. In verse 11, he created plants. In verse 14, he created stars. In verse 20, he created fish. In verse 24, he created all the land animals. And he created all of this with his words. He spoke them into existence. Then in Genesis, if we go down to Genesis 1.26, God says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. As we've seen, God spoke the universe into existence, and then he made us. He formed us with his hands in his image and in his likeness. Now, some well-meaning but overzealous Bible teachers teach that this means because we're created in the image of of God in the likeness of God that we are then gods ourselves that we are little gods or we are gods and the Bible doesn't teach that we're not gods don't don't go out of here thinking that you are God or that you are a God we're not God humanity is not in the same class as God just as angels are spirit beings but they're not in the same class as God but we are made in his image and as humans created in God's image we do have some of the attributes of God that he placed in us and why did God create us in his image and after his likeness why did he do that he didn't just look in the mirror and go wow I look pretty good I'm going to create a whole bunch of Beings that look just like me because I look so good. That's not why God did that. It says he created us. Look at Genesis 1:26. God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule. So that we could rule. So that we could be in authority. And how do we do that? How do we get back into the place that God created us to be to rule and reign with him? Most of us, we don't know how to rule. Not only do we not know how to rule our world, our world has been ruling us. Our circumstances have been on top of us. Our circumstances have been pushing us back and forth and pushing us down. How do we get to the point where we're on top and we rule those circumstances? Some other people may say, well, God is sovereign and we're not supposed to rule because God's sovereign and he's the only one that rules. And you know what? That's correct. God will always be sovereign. God is sovereign. God is the boss. God is God and we ain't him. And he is in charge. He's large and in charge, I heard somebody say. But I hear some. Are we okay? All right. <laughs> But God delegated that authority to us. 
while at the same time retaining his sovereignty. And isn't that what a ruler actually does? The king doesn't stand on the street corner and declare his decrees. He makes decrees, he writes them down, and then he has people who work for him that go out into the street corners of the kingdom and stand on the, can you see them with the funny hats and the poofy pants and they're standing on the street corner and they unroll the scroll and they say, hear ye, hear ye. This is what the king declares and they declare it standing on the street corner and whether people like it or people don't like it, it is the decree of the king and it is going to happen. Well, guess what? God is sovereign. God is in charge. But God is not the one who is going to go onto the street corners of the earth and declare his word. That's what he has us for. And you are the person who's standing on the street corner of your life, of your home, of this nation, declaring the word of the Lord. Hear ye, hear ye. This is what the word of God says. And we declare the word of God into the earth and we see his word come to pass. Can you say amen to that? And this is exactly what Jesus did. In Luke chapter 10, verse 17, Jesus had sent his 70 disciples out to minister. And they had gone out, ministered, and they saw people healed, delivered, set free from demonic oppression. And the 70, in Luke chapter 10, verse 17, the 70 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning. We, we sing a song, don't we, that says that. I saw Satan fall like lightning, don't we? Yeah. I love, the, I love, I just like saying that. I saw Satan fall like lightning. That just sounds good. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority. See, here it is. Here it is. We might think, well, that's God. Yeah, God spoke the world into existence. Yes, God did all that. Yes, Jesus healed the sick and raised the dead and cast out devils. Jesus did that. But Jesus then says in Luke 10, 17 through 19, Behold, I give you the authority to trample upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. This is what it means to be created in his image to rule on this earth. And this is why Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven because we are his ambassadors with the authority of his word to speak his word into the earth and see his plan and purpose come to pass. We're going to finish today's message with Mark chapter 11. In Mark chapter 11, Jesus is headed toward Jerusalem and he stops and he looks at a fig tree and he sees this fig tree and there are no figs on it. And so he speaks to the fig tree and he, the Bible says he, quote, curses the fig tree. And he says, nobody will ever eat fruit from you again. And they go on into Jerusalem. The next day, they, as they're coming back, the fig tree is completely dead and dried up from the roots. Now, we all know if you cut down a tree, the next day it's still going to be green. 
The next day, it's going to start to wither a little bit. The next day, it'll start to wither a little bit more. But they came back the next day. The thing was dead all the way from the roots, completely dead. And the disciples were amazed. Jesus now has their attention. And Jesus said to them, have faith in God. Or some translations say, have the faith of God. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain. See, I, I can imagine the disciples saying, wow, that was amazing, Jesus. Let's see you speak to this over here. Let's see you do this over there. Hey, Jesus, how about this bush? What can you do with this one? It's not a show. He's trying to demonstrate to them, this is what happens when you speak the word. And he said to them, assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Peter would, Peter would be thinking, why do I have to do this? You're standing right here. You speak to the mountain. Jesus said, no, you do it. When you speak to the mountain, and say, be removed to me, cast into the sea, and you don't doubt in your heart, but you believe that what you say will come to pass, you will have whatever you say. We spend so much time trying to believe for what we're believing for. Trying to believe. I've had people come and say, you know, Steve, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to believe for my healing, but I looked at the doctor's report. I just, can't, I just can't believe. You don't have to believe for your healing. You don't have to believe for your marriage. You don't have to believe for any of those things. This says what you have to believe is that what you say will come to pass. Say, what I say will come to pass. See, that's what you have to believe. And, now, and we're not talking about speaking things just out of our own spirit. Somebody's going to leave here, get in their car, and they say, okay, I'm going to say it. When I get home, it's going to be a brand new BMW in my driveway. That is not what we're talking about. We're talking about bringing the kingdom of God and the word of God to pass on the earth. And so when we speak that word, what we have to believe is that what we say will come to pass. When they're, when they're making the proclamations for the king on the street corner, if they start making proclamations of their own, the king is going to chop their head off. They're proclaiming what's written down on the scroll, and we have the scroll of the word of God right here, and we're proclaiming this. And what we say from this will come to pass. That's what we have to believe. So my question to you is, do you believe that what you say will come to pass? You need to start believing it because it's true. Some of us, even the negative circumstances in our life, it's because our life right now is the sum total of what we've been speaking over our lives for the last 10 years. And here we are. Wonder why my life is like this. It's because you've been saying it because you've been speaking over these things over your life. So whatever things you, you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Do you believe that what you say will be done? This is where the spiritual warfare actually begins. Not in your circumstances, but in your mind and in the words that you speak. This is not magic. We're not just speaking things and poof, things magically appear. We're talking about creating an atmosphere in our lives for God to move, for God to work. There are other things. In your finances, you can't just speak, hey, hey you know, I, I, my finances are straightened out, and they're straightened out today. You're going to need to budget. You're going to need to save. You've got there's principles that you need to put into practice. But if you don't get the words right, none of the rest of the stuff is going to take hold. 
You create an atmosphere with your words. Got it? Would you stand with me, please?